0: Here we go. We're looking at uh, different themes in the Proverbs uh, this year for redeemed manhood and redeemed womanhood. And uh, actually, all the themes, they come in pairs. Um, And tonight's no different. We're going to look at the strange and the wise. I'll explain what that means in a moment. But, uh, you know, the practice of comparing and contrasting two different things against each other is really helpful in just all of life. Uh, if you want to get to the truth, to the bottom of what's really happening in the news around the world or in our nation, then it would be good for you to compare and contrast different news reports. Uh, if you want to get to the bottom of a disagreement between two children, then you need to compare and contrast their stories and, and try and figure out what really happened. Uh, I, in all different areas of life, to figure out which is the best neighborhood for your family to live in, uh, the best education for for your child, the best job offer to accept, the best app to use on your phone, or the best car to buy. Comparing and contrasting is super helpful. Well, the writers of Proverbs know this, and so Proverbs is filled with many pairs where we are given the opportunity to compare and contrast. Pairs of of two are set before us time and time again, but the most common pair uh, that we are to compare and contrast with each other is the fool and the wise in Proverbs. You see that, that's the bulk of Proverbs over and over again, verse after verse. The fool does this, the wise does that. The fool says this, the wise says that. But there's another pair that is presented in this book of Proverbs, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. The strange woman and lady wisdom. The strange woman and lady wisdom. We're going to look at and compare and contrast these two women as they are presented to us in the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs, as I've said before, is written from a father, And king to his son, the coming up next king. So, while the specific and immediate applications of Proverbs are for a young man uh, getting ready to rule a kingdom, of course, we know that the truths and principles found here are for both men and women, both young and old. And I'm going to need you tonight to work a little extra hard. Uh, with your minds to look past the fact that we're uh, presented with two women uh, to contrast and compare. Uh, Because uh, the application is towards a young man, telling the young man, as I told the men, don't want this kind of woman, want this instead. Uh, So you have to look past that and kind of filter that through, uh, and I'll need your help to do that tonight. You're going to have to think deeply about the truths and the principles, the lessons that God has for you in this. But to help you in that process, uh, just a handful of questions I gave you there at the bottom of your notes. I'll read through them. These are... These are not all the questions that you could ask, but these are probably the main low-hanging fruit, the the main questions that would be most helpful for you. How am I like this strange woman that we're going to look at in uh, chapter 7? Or how can I be more like Lady Wisdom as she's presented in in chapter 8? How can I be on guard against the strange man? So maybe it's not a strange woman that uh, you're tempted to be adulterous with, but maybe a strange man that you, that you have a temptation towards. How can I be on guard against that strange man? And ask yourself the question, do I need to reorient my affection and attraction towards men or a, a man uh, specifically, whether it's your husband or uh, how you're thinking about your future husband or just men in general? Do you need to reorient your priorities uh, as you think about men? And then lastly, do I need to grow in my affection and attraction towards wisdom? Because in chapter 8, you're not called to... The the call isn't, you know, don't be with an adulterous woman, be with a godly woman. That's not what chapter 8 is about. It's actually, uh, don't go into sin, specifically be with an adulterous woman, but rather... Uh, Go to God in his word and long for his truth, his wisdom, his beauty found in scripture. Do you need to grow in your affection and your heart's attraction towards the wisdom and the word of God? Those are some helpful questions to kind of ruminate and recycle through your minds tonight. So we're looking at the strange woman first. We're going to be starting in uh, Proverbs chapter 7. If you would follow along with me, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to Ism, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. In order to keep you from the strange woman from the foreign woman who flatters with her words." Now, first of all, we we see here there's a solemn warning that uh, the author opens up with, the sage, the wise man, opens up with in these first five verses. There's a solemn warning. And the, the, the warning is to recognize the importance of the Word of God in your life. There's one phrase that's really helpful, Where it says uh, in verse 2, keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Now we use that phrase nowadays for, you know, you're the apple of my eye, you're really special to me, I love you, something like that. But the original intent of that phrase here is the pupil of your eye. The apple of your eye is the pupil of your eye. Now what does he tell you to do? with the apple of your eye he's he tells you to keep the apple of your eye there's the first word there verse two so the main command is to keep his law keep the law of god like you keep the apple of your eye in the old testament uh, another way of understanding the word keep is not just to kind of put it in your purse or in your backpack and carry it along with you. It is more along the the idea of guard, to guard. So guard the word of God in your life and in your hearts, in your mind, like you guard the pupil of your eye. Now I don't know about you, but uh, if I get a piece of dust or an uh, or a, an eyelash or uh, you know or whatever it might be. Uh, in my eye, everything stops, right? Nothing else matters. I, I got I to gotta get this thing out, right? Uh, or if you're walking or running or doing some activity and there's dust or, or maybe an insect of some sort that uh, comes towards your eye, you might not even see it until the last moment, but your body instinctually is so quick to guard your eye that you don't even realize it until it's already gone. That's the way we need to treat the Word of God in our lives. Guard it with great diligence. Store it in your heart and in your mind and keep it there. And he says uh, to call wisdom, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. That is, you are to... Uh, be close and familiar with God's word. Be close and familiar with, with God's truth, his, his wisdom. Now, all of this is preventative. These are proactive measures that you, as a woman of God, are to take in your life in order to keep you away from sin. When temptation comes or when trials come, that's not the time to start getting serious about your walk and about the word of God in your life. By that time, it's probably a a little bit too late. It's going to be much more difficult for you to succeed uh, in godliness. He says, notice, um, do all these things, and then verse 5, in order to keep you from the strange woman. Remember, keep. Another idea of, another way of thinking about that is to guard. So the way that you are on guard uh, against the strange, in your case, a strange man or any other sin in your life, any other temptation in your life is by first being drenched in the word of God, being saturated by the wisdom and the truth of God in his scriptures. Now this word, the words strange and foreign, the strange woman, the foreign woman, they both carry the idea of being outside the realm of the revealed will of God. That's the, that's the broadest way to understand it. Strange or foreign is anything that is outside the realm of the revealed will of God. Think of um, those two men who offered strange fire on the altar. It's the same word here for strange. It, it is that, that sacrifice was not warranted. It was not authorized by God. It was outside of the realm of his revealed will. He didn't tell them to do that. And so it was strange. This is anything and anyone that is forbidden in Scripture. Think of it as strange and foreign to you. So, here specifically, it is uh, any man who is not your husband, or a man who is not yet your husband, or any man who may not become your husband. It is any form of sexual or intimate relationship that is not between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage. That is the strange man, the strange woman. It is any man who is an unbeliever outside the covenant family of God. Now the principle of this can be carried along and and applied to any other sin or temptation in your life that you might be confronted with from day to day. Anything that comes across your way that is strange or foreign outside of the realm of God's revealed will for you in your life then he says, "You need to guard your heart from that, and the way you do that is by being in the word as much as you can." Now he goes on to give us a story. it's a really captivating story here in the rest of this of this chapter, and we'll go um, uh, section by section through this and point out some principles uh, for you to to, uh, to use as you guard your heart and your mind against temptation and sin, specifically the temptation and sin of adultery or immorality. But but this again, these principles can be applied to any other temptation or sin in your life. Maybe you're not tempted to be immoral, but maybe you're tempted to steal. Maybe you're tempted to lie or gossip. Maybe you're a- a- tempted to... Um, to cheat uh, on your taxes or, or uh, tell a white lie or to become angry or bitter. Whatever the temptation might be, the, the tactics of the flesh, the tactics of sin and the devil are, are the same across the board. So first of all, what we see here is the danger of aimlessness. Look at verse 6, and eight, six through 8. For at the window of my house... I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, and discerned among the sons a young man lacking a heart of wisdom, passing through the street near her corner, and he strides along the way to her house. Notice the contrast, the the difference between the location of the one who's telling the story, the wise man, And the one he's watching, the young fool. The wise man, the wise person is is located where? In his home. And the fool is where? Wandering the streets, right? He's described here as simple. Now, simple, pethi in Hebrew. We looked at this uh, a few months ago. Together, as we looked at the three different kinds of fools in Proverbs, this word, simple, means open-minded, not committed. Remember that? Does that sound familiar? It comes from the word to be open, spacious, and wide. And so, applied to be a characteristic of a person, it's the idea of being aimless, drifting, and wandering. And that's exactly what you see. It's striking that he uses the word, I saw among the simple in verse 7. And then a young man lacking a heart of wisdom, he was simple, he was wandering in his heart, and he was not just wandering in his heart, he was wandering uh, with his body, he was wandering the streets, passing through the street and striding along the way. See that? There's great danger in aimlessness of life. Being aimless in air, any area of life. I mean, think any sphere of life. You're being, being aimless in your mind. Letting your thoughts just go wherever they go. And not controlling them, as you heard on Sunday. Uh, being aimless with your money and how you spend it, how you earn it. What you do with it. Uh, being aimless with your time letting the hours just roll by being aimless with your relationships having no direction for it no purpose being aimless with your work just uh, doing what comes to you whether your work is in the home or elsewhere doing whatever comes easiest or you feel like doing that day being aimless with your future having no plan or no direction for your life whether it's personal professional or spiritual being aimless in any areas in any of these areas of life will lead to ruin and it usually doesn't say isolated to that area where you're aimless right if you're aimless with your money then you're going to be broke but that's going to your brokenness <laughs> Your poverty is going to affect your other relationships and what you'll be tempted to do for money um, elsewhere. So realize the danger of aimlessness. Also notice that there is this lie that the, fool, the young fool has bought into, which is the lie of anonymity. Uh, verse 9 and 10 in the twilight, in the evening of that day, in the middle of the night, and in the thick darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. Notice not only where this man is walking, but when he's walking around. He's wandering the streets when it's dark. And notice there's a progression to it, right? There's a progression from the, in the twilight, in verse 9, and then the evening, and then the middle of the night, and then the thick darkness, right? It gets darker and darker. It's amazing how uh, there, are, there is something about the, the dark that brings things out of people that would normally stay hidden if it was in the middle of the day or in the light. Whether it's the dark confines of your private bedroom or closet, or somewhere where nobody's watching, uh, or in the actual nighttime. There's a reason why there's discothecas at night, right? Because they'll do stuff at night. That The barriers seem to fade away and weaken at night. There's a reason why certain places you go to or shouldn't go to, I should say. certain places and establishments, even in our own city, uh, where it is dark inside. There's a reason for that. And I think it's instinctual. It's part of the, of the remaining image of God on mankind. Where they are ashamed of what they do in the dark. And so they go and 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 stay in the dark, and they feel anonymous there. They feel like they just kind of there, there's no there's no accountability there. The fool and the strange woman believe the the, the 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 excuse me the lie that since it is dark, no one can see what they are doing, but who sees them? God does, right? Dark is as day to him, he says. Notice also this woman's dress. Uh, it says that she is dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. The fact that she's dressed like a harlot doesn't mean that she is a harlot, but she might as well be one. Uh, it's clear that she is not actually a harlot because we learn later on that she's married, which is a whole other layer to the wickedness and evil of what's going on here. So she's not actually a harlot, but she's dressing like one is what the proverb says. What does that mean? It means that she is marketing herself to the highest bidder. That's what it means. Immodesty is dressing uh, to attract the attention of men. And dear sisters, I ask you to be careful about how you dress. Be careful about how what you allow your daughters or your granddaughters or your nieces to, to wear. If you have any influence in their lives, say something. Because what happens is uh, when... A woman dresses this way provocatively or immodestly what happens is she attracts certain men and I told the men on Tuesday she she attracts losers there's no nice way to say it A, 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 a woman who dresses like a harlot or dresses immodestly is the woman who attracts losers Because if you think about it, you want a godly man, and you think that dressing a certain way will attract a godly man, you're thinking wrongly, you see. Because a godly man will be actually repelled by, ought to be repelled by a woman who, who dresses immodestly. And so you should be careful about how you dress, especially within... The context of a local church, there should be thoughtfulness and care given. First Timothy two nine and ten says, "Likewise, I want men, women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self restraint." Is your dress modest? Is there restraint practice in when you go shopping or when you pick out uh, things from your closet? Is there self-control? There should be. But notice that uh, this immodesty of clothing comes from an immodest heart. It comes from an unrestrained heart, actually. Verse 11 and 12. It says, She is boisterous and rebellious, Her feet do not dwell at home. Stepping in the streets, stepping in the squares, and near every corner, she lies in wait. This woman, uh, or you could understand it as the immoral man, has an unrestrained heart. She is unruly, boisterous, it says. This denotes, this word means ceaseless or restless movement. It's the opposite of the peaceful woman in 1 Peter 3, where it says uh, that, uh, let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible quality of a lowly and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. It's the opposite of that. She's not a godly woman. She's also described as being rebellious or defiant, which indicates her rebellion against the word of God and what is good and decent. In a word, she's a busybody. She's a busybody. She is not content with the role that God has for her as a wife and a mother in the home. Notice what it says. Her feet do not dwell at home, verse 11. Where is she? She's anywhere else but home. She's anywhere else but where God has called her to be. And it's the same thing for men. I I let the men have it on Tuesday, don't worry. I I told the men, look, men, you need to be home as well. Your place is to be a husband and a father in the home. So stay there. Quit wandering the streets. And we can wander the streets without even leaving the home, can't we? How do we do that? How do we do that? TV, internet, right? We're everywhere else. Our mind is everywhere else but the home." We can do that without even leaving the couch, without even leaving your bed. You can be just gone, right? And you can become this unruly, boisterous, rebellious woman. Not only that, but you will be uh, tempted and you will come across unruly, boisterous, rebellious men. That's who's out there. The kind of men that are uh, on the street corner or on the, in the chat rooms or wherever else, on Facebook constantly, are not the men that, that you should be around. This woman here, she isn't home, and, and as she's wandering the streets, it says that she is waiting around, lying in wait, like a predator waits for her prey. Like a predator waits for her prey, and we'll get to that later, because because uh, we will see the the danger of the trap of this of this woman. But you know the, the thing is, uh, it's difficult at times to discern uh, the evil of a person, the wickedness of the heart of a of a man. Or a woman, it's, it's difficult to uh, perceive the danger of something or someone because often it comes with this veneer of piety. Verse 13 to 15. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, The sacrifices of peace offerings are with me. Today I paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your face earnestly, and I have found you. So while seducing the man, she's brazen. That is, she's shameless. And, but that shamefulness is covered with a false piety. Right? She says, I have all my sacrifices. My, I, I've paid my vows. I'm good with God. It, it, it's... You know this person says the right religious words, does the right religious acts, but the intent is evil. Notice also how she feeds the man's ego. You know, I mean, we can flip this and 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 make it that a man feeds the woman's ego, right? Uh, when a man is trying to. Lure a woman. Uh, Our flesh longs to be liked and longs to be wanted, doesn't it? Young women seem to melt whenever a young man gives her any attention at all. And they fall for the first one that comes their way. But if that's you, you need to realize that just because a young man has taken interest in you, that is not God's open door for you to pursue that relationship. It's not one in the same. You need to look past the ability to say the right religious things and do the right religious things. You need to look past that into the quality and character of the man. Now, this lady, she's no, she knows what she's doing. And so she not only uh, you know, gives this false veneer of, of religion and piety, but she goes right to the appetites of this young man with the lust of the flesh. Verse 16 to 18, she says, I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, Come, let us drink our fill as lovers until morning. Let us delight ourselves with the pleasures of love. So this woman, she plays to the physical senses of the man. And men do the same thing, right? They play to the physical senses of, of women. They know what women want and they, and they uh, lean in on those aspects. And it's just the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. There's enticement here with promises of sexual fantasies and sensual fulfillment. But the reality is that that is the depth of the, of the relationship. Because how do we know that? The next verse, she talks about her husband, right? Right? So she what she's doing is she's offering momentary pleasure while withholding the enduring fulfillment of true love. And this is applicable to any temptation or sin, isn't it? It seems so enjoyable, whatever the the temptation might be, it seems so enjoyable, so delightful. Uh, It seems so right, and it has all the right answers to your doubts of why you should not partake of that sin. It it feels like it's going to be so gratifying, whether it's immorality or anger or yelling at somebody or getting even or or stealing or whatever it might be. In the moment, it feels like it, it will be so fulfilling. But the reality is that it cannot enduringly satisfy you the way God can. But there's another uh, lie here in verse 19 and 20. It says, For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a journey far away. He took a bag of silver in his hand. On the day of the full moon, he will come home. So there's this with temptation often comes the delusion of escape. The delusion of escape. The lie here is that there's nothing to fear. Right? That there will be no consequences, consequences for following her into sin. The husband is away and he's going to be gone for quite some time. But if we, think, if we stop and think the husband is is not the only one that the man must worry about. The husband is not the one that the man needs to fear. Who should he be fearing? God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Right? So he shouldn't be worried about the husband. He should be worried about what God would say. What God thinks about this. And so for you, sisters. Don't believe the lie that there are no consequences to your sin. There are always consequences to your sin. And that's what this next, these next few verses get at. Uh, verses 21 to 23. With her abundant persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she drives him to herself. And he suddenly follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of an ignorant fool, or I would rather translate that as a stag goes into a trap. Or in in verse 23, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, and he does not know that it will cost him his soul. The seduction of flattery is that uh, they're so smooth. Flattery makes you feel good. Flattering words literally are smooth words. Words that go down easy. You know, sin often has all the answers to why it's okay for you to give in, doesn't it? And this woman here, this strange woman, is no different. She is convincing. So the young fool follows her to his own death. Now there's three animals here that are described and how they were caught in a trap, and it helps describe sin's seduction. An ox, a stag, and a bird. Notice that sin's seduction is thoroughly destructive, just like the ox is led to a slaughter. Right Slaughter is very I mean, he's cut up in pieces. Uh, sin seduction is inescapable, just as a stag goes into a trap that it can't get out and an arrow finally comes later on to pierce its liver and deal the final death blow. It's inescapable. And sin seduction is swift, it's quick, just like the snare that the bird, a fast animal, gets caught in. Even the fastest animal of a bird cannot escape the clutches of the snare. But just like an animal, this fool, this simple one, is oblivious to the danger. Right? He he gets caught. He just goes right in. And he and you could. It's, there's a picture here, right? He he just follows her into the house. The door closes behind him, and what does he think? I'm going to have a great time tonight, right? It's going to be a great, it's going to be a good day, right? That's what he's thinking. But he doesn't realize as soon as the door closes behind him, the the reality is he's entered the chambers of death. He's in the lobby of hell, you could say. Sisters, do do not fail to see the connection between sin and death. The wages of sin is death, right? There's no exception to the rule. Sin always destroys. So be on guard against the the wiles of the devil. These are his tactics. Whether it be another man or whether it be any other temptation towards sin, these are his tactics. One final warning that he gives us Verse 24 to 27, So now, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart go astray into her ways. Do not wander into her pathways. For many are the slain whom she has cast down, and numerous are all those, who, all those killed by her. The ways of Sheol are in her house, descending to the chambers of death. The warning is stay away, Right? Run. Flee immorality. Don't see how close you can get to sin before crossing the line. Stay as far away as possible. That that is what holy means. Growth in holiness or an increase in your holiness as a Christian means that you are farther away from sin. That's what the word means. You're set apart. You're more and more set apart from sin and the world. Don't believe the lie. There's this, there's this foolish, stupid understanding and lie that, that seems to pop up every so often in, in churches where people will say, you know, I'm strong enough. You know, I've grown. I can handle this show. I can handle this song. I can handle this movie. I can handle going out, you know, to dinner with my male coworker. I can handle that. I'm strong. You are not strong enough. Sisters, you are not more advanced in your spiritual walk to the point where you can now quote unquote handle it. How do we know that? Because God doesn't grow his children in godliness so that he so that we will expose ourselves to more sin. He doesn't, that's not why he grows you. He doesn't grow you so that you can go, you know, stand closer to sin. No that's not holiness. What you're experiencing and thinking about that's not holiness. That's actually a seared and dull conscience. You've tricked yourself. You've tricked your inner judge, your conscience into believing that it's okay when it's not. So don't believe that you're you're the exception to the rule. Many are the slain whom she has cast down and numerous are those killed by her, it says in verse 26. You and I are not the exception to the rule. So be on guard and stay away from the strange woman, the strange man, the, that which is outside the realm of God's revealed will for your life, whatever it might be. Be on guard. Be repelled from that. And instead, be attracted to, well, here it's described as the wise woman. Proverbs 8 uh, gives us a portrait of another woman. Lady wisdom. Lady wisdom. Now, we're going to go through this rather quickly uh, because uh, I, I think the principles are more are more straightforward for us. But a a quick note about the relationship between Lady Wisdom and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You might not care about this, but I I need to explain this just in case uh, we have some wrong thinking in our minds or some inaccurate thinking, I think is a better way of, of putting it. Some theologians will equate the two. That that. Here in chapter eight, the Holy Spirit is actually talking about Christ, and Christ is is Lady Wisdom. But there are many reasons why that can't work with the text, and Bruce Waltke, uh, a, a solid commentary, a theolo- solid th- uh, theologian on. Uh, the book of Proverbs, is helpful here. He acknowledges that there are similarities between Lady Wisdom and Christ. Both existed with God before all things. Both played some sort of role in creation. Both offer life and immortality to those who will listen to them. However, those similarities stop there, and they must be seen in in the light of Christ's superiority to Lady Wisdom. Because God gave birth to wisdom, it says, but Christ is the eternal son. Wisdom witnessed the creation of God, as we're going to look at, but Christ is the creator. Wisdom was begotten by God, but Christ is God himself. Bruce Walkie says, in other words, Solomon's personification of Lady Wisdom functions as a type of Christ. That's a very important word. She is a type of Christ. Meaning, in typology, the fulfillment, which is Christ, that, and versus the type, which is Lady Wisdom. The fulfillment shows both similarities and superiority to the type. Which is why the New Testament alludes to this. Colossians 2.3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And of course, Matthew 12, 42, Christ himself says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here, right? He's better than Lady Wisdom. He is the perfect embodiment of the wisdom of God. So this passage doesn't teach us about Christ so much as it points up to him. Lady Wisdom is a shadow of Christ, and she bids us to come to her to learn how to relate to the Messiah and live under his rule over our lives. All right, so, the, so the, 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 the call of Lady Wisdom as the alternative to the call of the strange woman. First of all, there's an invitation in verses 1 through 5. I'll read this, and then we'll breeze through the, next, the rest of it. Does not Wisdom call, in chapter 8, verse 1, and discernment give forth her voice? At the top of the heights upon the way where the pathways meet, she takes her stand beside the gates and the opening to the city. At the entrance of the doors, she makes a shout. To you, O men, I call, and my, and my voice is to the sons of men. O simple ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand a heart of wisdom. So she's doing something similar but better than, than the strange woman, right? She's, she's calling out. But she's calling out in a better way, and she's calling out at a better place. Lady Wisdom here is beckoning us to come to her and to find life. Notice, notice her location. It, it is in those places of life that are pivotal. Uh, at the top of the heights upon the way, verse 2, where the pathways meet, verse 2, uh, verse 3, beside the gates at the opening to the city. At the entrance of the doors, she makes a shout. What does that mean? In all of life's pivotal and crucial moments, at those crossroads in your life where you need to make a decision, in those moments where you are confronted with a choice between sin and righteousness, When you are at a time, any time or any situation where you need to make the right decision and choose the right direction, God's wisdom is there for you. And she calls out, Come to me, and I'll show you where to go. I'll help you. Verses 6 through 9 we are shown that we should delight in truth. Verse 6-9, through listen, for I will speak noble things, and the openings of my lips I will reveal upright things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness, and there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. God's truth, God's wisdom are noble, they're excellent, they're good, they're delightful. Wisdom's words are not smooth like the strange woman, but straight. Not smooth, but straight. That is, it is, it is, uh, it lines up with the truth of God's word. And it is a delightful thing to the, to the men and women of God uh, to have understanding and to know the direction of God, to know the truth of God. There is a pleasure there. There, there is good there. But not only is it delightful, but it's, it's also valuable. Verse 10 and 11, take my discipline and not silver, and knowledge rather than choices fine gold. For wisdom is better than pearls, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. So wisdom is incredibly valuable. And so we must pursue wisdom more than any other earthly treasure. What wisdom has to offer is more valuable than any worldly riches. And wisdom doesn't come alone, but it comes with bearing gifts. Verse 12 and 13, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of Yahweh is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the mouth of perverted words I hate. So when you have wisdom, she brings along with her the gifts of prudence, knowledge, and discretion. That is, prudence, you will be able to think deeply. Knowledge, you will be able to understand reality. And discretion, you will be able to plan for the future. How kind wisdom is to bring these things along with her into our lives. Don't you want a relationship with her? But not only this, but we see also the power of wisdom in verse 14 to 16. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom, and understanding might is mine. Uh, By me, kings reign and rulers mark out righteousness. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. Wisdom is able to give kings, rulers, and leaders the power to lead effectively. So if you think about it, if God's wisdom can help a king rule a nation, and that's what this is, if God's wisdom is able to help a king rule an entire kingdom well, then certainly it is able to help you manage your life, navigate your relationships, and manage your home. I think it's up for the task. If it can govern an entire nation, it can govern your life and your home. Now, we see also the the rewards of wisdom. Verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who earnestly seek me will find me. Riches and glory are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than fine gold, even pure gold and my produce better than choice silver. I walk in the path of righteousness in the midst of the pathway of justice to give those who love me an inheritance of wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Now, provision, financial provision, and financial health are normally enjoyed by those who live life God's way. We don't preach health, wealth, and prosperity in this church. We're not a prosperity gospel kind of church yet if you if you live life god's way he knows how life and humanity and society works he knows how you work and so most most often most likely your life will be marked by prosperity or at least having enough right and that that is prosperity to have enough because because we are, we are to have contentment, right? But also harmony in our relationships. And so yes, it's the norm that that happens. It's not across the board in every relationship, in every circumstance and season of life, you're just going to be, you're not going to worry about money. That's not what he's saying. But by and large, you'll be okay because if you do life God's way, he'll care for you. But if you seek God's wisdom for worldly riches, then Lady Wisdom will abandon you, and you'll be nothing but a rich fool, right? Wisdom's riches are better than silver or gold. She says, "That is the spiritual riches of righteousness, righteousness, and the eternal treasures of God Himself are to be valued most." Now, verse twenty-two to twenty-nine, uh, it's it's a it's a Poem about uh, Lady Wisdom and her being with Yahweh God in the event of creation. It's actually very striking. Uh, 22 to 31. Yahweh possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his deeds of old, from everlasting I was installed. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs heavy with water before the mountains were settled before the hills i was brought forth while he had not yet made the earth and the fields outside nor the first dust of the world when he established the heavens i was there when he marked out a circle on the face of the deep when he made firm the skies above when the when the springs of the deep became strong when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not pass over his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was a daily delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth. My delight is in the sons of men. What does all that mean? This section describes wisdom as a companion of God in the work of creation. And again, this isn't another way of talking about Christ. As we mentioned before. Wisdom is an attribute of God, so it describes the function of the wisdom of God in the act of creation. Wisdom was there with God before creation. That means that God had a plan, a design, and a purpose before creating the world. And so what we can learn from that is we need to seek wisdom first before taking action in our lives. Also, As God created the world, He employed wisdom in His act of creation. And the result is a joyful delight in the work of God, verse 30 and 31. So, for us, as we see God's wisdom in creation, but also throughout history, and especially in the work of salvation, in redemption as you step back at times and look at your life and the hand of God upon your life, as you see God's wisdom in the scriptures, all of these things should bring joy and delight to your soul. When's the last time you stood back and appreciated the wisdom of God? Or are you too busy thinking that you know better? Now, the final call at the end of the chapter, verse 32 is to pursue wisdom. Verse 32 to 34. So now, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Hear, discipline, and be wise, and do not neglect it. How blessed is the man who hears me to watch daily at my doors, to keep watch at my doorposts. The pursuit of wisdom must be daily, often unfailing, enduring, and constant. Sisters, don't give up easily in your pursuit in the wisdom of God. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Doesn't he? So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep crying out for God to guide you and lead you in your life as you search the scriptures. And what's the promise? The last two verses, verse 35 and 36, for he who finds me, finds life and obtains favor from Yahweh but he who sins against me does violence to his own soul all those who hate me love death so if you seek god's wisdom with humility by going to his word you will find blessing specifically life and favor with god it's not saying that you earn life or god's favor by working hard enough to figure out the bible Rather, if you have found wisdom, which, which begins with the right relationship with God, if you have found that wisdom, then life and God's favor come, come along with it. Life and faith, eternal life, beginning in this life, and God's favor in this life, in the life to come, are, are possessions of those who have sought and found the wisdom of God culminating in the person work of Jesus Christ of course the reality here in the contrast between 35 and 38 is that how you treat the wisdom of god is a matter of life and death how you treat the word of god is a matter of life and death you see life does not come to the spiritually neutral it comes to the diligent the abundant life, enjoyment of this life that God has given you comes when you are diligent to be in the scriptures and to seek the wisdom of God. Now, why, why is it that we are given a pair like this? Have you thought about that? It is interesting that one is a real-life adulterous woman and the other is not, right? There is no real live Lady Wisdom that we can run into on the streets, right? Or, or, or Mr. Wisdom. He doesn't exist. Lady Wisdom is the knowledge and the teachings and the thoughts and the word of God. Why is it that the alternative to an adulterous woman is not a godly woman or man? is it because it is because the highest and the best and the most enduring and most delightful thing that is the opposite of adultery or immorality or any other sin is found in God himself not a man it is found in his truth which is found in his word So I ask you, what is your relationship to the Word of God? Do you find more delight in it? Because you find more delight in Him. Is there any competition in your heart? Is your heart being tempted to be led away to that which is strange and foreign? You need to get back into the Word of God. You need to love God's word because there you see the perfect wisdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So I trust that you've been asking yourself, how am I like this strange woman? How can I change? How can I be more like Lady Wisdom? And how can I be on guard against that strange man? Do I need to reorient my affection and attraction towards men in general? my view of them? Do I need to grow in my affection and attraction towards wisdom? Trust that you've been thinking about those things and God has worked on your hearts. Um, let me pray, and i got a quick announcement for us tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I, I do pray that you would continue to mold us and make us into the people you want us to be. Make us more like your beloved son, Jesus Christ. I pray for these dear sisters that they would uh, be drawn towards your word, that they would find it delightful and attractive to them, that they would see the value and and the blessing that is there for them in your word. And Lord Jesus, I pray that they would find their ultimate satisfaction in you, that they would be drawn ultimately and finally To be with you. They would find their hearts, uh, the quenching of their heart's thirst in in your love for them, in your presence. I pray that you would do that for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So there's no resistance.